Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Okay, everyone, I am so excited to welcome you all to On the Up and Up this week because we have such a great guest that we accidentally just chatted for 15 minutes offline about everything that's interesting from cults to MLMs to amazing (laughs) clients. Um, And then we just thought, well, we got to dive in because the world deserves to hear our conversation. It's the least we can do. Right. So I'm so excited to welcome Keela from Little Fish Accounting. I just want to kind of, I'm, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I just want to sort of throw out there the first sentence of your bio because it feels really impactful to me and it really caught my attention, um, partially because of a situation that I'm in right now. But so what Little Fish does is empower small businesses to take ownership of their finances. And what you said in your bio is that it takes empathy, care, and consideration. And I can truly say that we've worked with a lot of amazing finance companies, amazing accounting firms, tax attorneys, all kinds of money people, some as clients, some as I'm the client. And I don't think anyone's actually said <laughs> that it takes <laughs> empathy, care, and consideration. And that like really hit home for me because finances are scary as hell. So Mm -hmm. in that, you know, in the spirit of all of that, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and what you do and what your business does. And also as a side, why it mattered to you to have that be such a kind of key component of the first part of your bio to include those features. Yeah. So hello, my name is (laughs) Keila Hill Trawick. I'm the founder and owner of Little Fish Accounting, where we serve uh, tiny businesses, uh, professional service providers. And I started in government and corporate. I'm from Atlanta. So I worked at like major companies down there, CNN, Home Depot, Comcast, all of that. Decided I was tired of living in Georgia, moved to DC. Um, Side note, got to DC and was like, hate it, want to go back home. Um, And then I found my husband who's a DC native, so we still live here. I, when I started Little Fish, I didn't come from a public accounting firm, which would have done a lot of the work that we do, taxes, bookkeeping, all that. I knew none of that. I knew a couple of things. I knew that small businesses were the least likely to get served by accountants because I had enough friends who were like, they talked to accountants and they were uh, reductive or condescending about you being so small that it was like, oh, let me just take this off your plate. You don't need to understand this. And then you end up in mess and you don't really know why. Um, But the other thing that kind of worked to our benefit is because I didn't know anyone else who had started an accounting firm, I modeled Little Fish after our first clients, which were creative and design firms. And so we always started from a lens of how can we make the client experience best? I'm going to take care of your taxes. We're going to take care of your bookkeeping. Like those are deliverables. We're going to make sure that those are done. But like, can we be more than fine? Because that's what we would hear a lot is like, what's wrong with your accountant? And they'd be like, I mean, nothing's really wrong with them. They're fine. 
And I was like, well, what would it take for your accounting to feel more than fine? And what we found was that a lot of people had feelings and questions and fears that nobody was answering for them. That somebody was saying, here's your financial statements. Let me know if you have any questions or here's your tax return. Sign here and I'll send it off for you without just stopping and pausing and saying, wait, do you understand this? Like, do you know what this means? Do you know why we're doing it this way? You don't have to be a CPA to read your tax return, but like, do you have a general sense of like what this is trying to tell you? Um, and then that just became kind of our walking mantra of how do we keep making you feel that way when you're doing something that isn't fun, but doesn't have to feel terrible? Oh my God. Speaking, you're preaching to the choir. Um, my CPA slash accountant is also fine. Um, and over the years, we've built a relationship that I think has mm -hmm. kind of transcended the fine. And, you know, she's now someone that I is she's local and she's somebody that I really trust. And she never makes me feel ashamed. And it wasn't until we built that relationship where I felt like I could be like, whoopsie. And she'd be like, it's okay. I know how to fix this. And Kira, your business is doing great. I'm so proud of you. Like from a $5,000 a year to a multi six figure year, like yeah. those moments were really when I started to refer her to other people. So yeah. and I can't even count how many in the last year, year and a half, how many people I've sent to her from friends to business mm -hmm. owners, you know, so it really does matter. And the finance stuff, it's similar to HR in that we don't want to freak anyone out, right? Like we right. just want, we want people to understand and we want people to understand how impactful it can be to really under, like have a solid understanding of all these things like yep. you, like you just said. But there are, I want to kind of get it out of the way that there are some things that are really scary and have long-term consequences on our small businesses. Yeah. When you are working with your clients, what would you say is your like, I can only give you a minute or two of advice to make sure you stay out of those like high, highly problematic, risky, scary, fearful situations. What would be your advice that you'd give a small business owner to make sure that they're at least doing that top level, high impact stuff with their finances? So the answer to almost everything that I say is good bookkeeping. So when people are like, how can I save on taxes? Good bookkeeping. How can I be prepared for a loan if they ask me for information? Good bookkeeping. How can I figure out where my money is going? Good bookkeeping. Um, a lot of times um, it can fall to the wayside, right? People think that it's tedious, which it is. Um, they don't necessarily want to have to keep up on it. It's like um, exercising. You know, it's one of those situations where it's like, I did it three times. I should look and feel different. You mean I have to just keep snatch this now? Like, Duh. <laughs> exactly. They're like, you're snatched for this week. And when you have that Chick-fil-A next week, you're going to have to do this all over again. Um, Ooh, and that so sounds I think so the, good right now. The repetitive part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. I have to go to the gym tonight. And I there's a Chick-fil-A across the street, which is why I'm thinking about it. But I'm going to try to stay away. Um, <laughs> but... The good bookkeeping is easier to do when you stay on top of it. And so what generally happens is that people wait a long time. Um, it's been months. It's about to be tax time. And they're like, crap, I have to do it all at once. And so the number one tip that I give people is if you can stay on top of it or outsource it so somebody else can stay on top of it for you, a lot of the things that you find hard are really about organization, not about math. And so if your books are in order, that's one less thing you have to pull together 
together when it's tax time. You already know that all the income and expenses are there. You've been doing your reconciliation. You know it's the right stuff. Um, same thing with like, I want to apply for a loan and they're asking for such and such. It's easy to be able to pull it for yourself when you've been staying on top of it and much harder to feel like all of a sudden you have to do it all at once. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's such good advice. I know. I I used to think it was so easy. Like I thought it was like being on a dating app, like you just go into QuickBooks and just like swipe and swipe and swipe. And then I obviously learned from my very patient accountant that I was being a silly goose. Um, but <laughs> and on it's that easy note, to do until it's messed up. Like when it's yeah. right, it's fine. And then when mm -hmm. there is an error or something is wrong, you don't really have the foundational knowledge to be able to fix it for yourself. Yeah. And like one thing that I've noticed, especially in because finance and HR, they hold hands, they overlap a yeah. teeny bit, but they're so independent of each other, especially when they're functioning at the highest level. Um, and one thing that we do in HR is because we touch so many different sides of business, we are extremely collaborative with the businesses that we work with because mm -hmm. they might have to go talk to their accountant and then they might have to go talk to their lawyer and then they might have to go talk to some of their employees about how they're feeling about something or even their business coach if they really want somebody to help them like lean in on some of their offers. And right. collaboration is such a key component of finances too because you we don't know what questions to ask. Like it's not just categorize the things, but it's like I've learned that little tiny things that you can change within your finances that come from the knowledge of working in the industry for such a long time have made a massive difference in the outcome of mm -hmm. our books year over year. So it's really about what are the right questions to ask and not what are the questions that you are already Googling. Um, yeah. And yeah. In that note, like on online, especially for online business, there are, I'm sure there are so many different times when this has come up where you're like, well, the answer is if you're, I don't know for you, but for us, it's like every single time the answer is it depends. Um, yeah. And <laughs> For online business, it's so unique in a sense. What are some of the really amazing practices that you've seen your clients do that have made such a big difference for them? What are some of the day-to-day -day things that they're doing on top of their bookkeeping or why, as part of their bookkeeping that are really making a difference for them to make sure that they're getting the most out of their finances and their business? Yeah, I would say one that is seems really easy and straightforward is building in a digital um, invoicing process. Like the number of people that I've seen that'll send it as like a PDF and then have to wait to see if somebody's paid them and then have to keep going to their bank account to see if they actually got the money to cover it and have to go back. Something as simple as like using your accounting system to send the invoice and require that they pay the invoice through that link. Um, I've seen clients get tens of thousands of dollars that was outstanding just get paid by sending the invoice through a link versus having to go back and chase it um, because you have enough jobs as a ceo right and so people are like i sent it off and then i will ask as the finance person how do you know when it gets paid and they're like oh i see the money get deposited and i'm like well how do you know how much is outstanding um and they're like oh i just know or i have a spreadsheet or whatever it is really being able for example to look at your accounts receivable what is outstanding to you and say who do i need to follow up on who do i need to send a separate email everything from like money that needs to come in to creatives and entrepreneurs who do work that gets paid at certain milestones, you having to remember, oh, I'm not supposed to do any more work until you pay this invoice. 
But I just kept going because I wasn't really thinking about it. I think that's one. Um, I would say the other thing is looking at the future. Um, accounting is typically historical. And so we will look at like, what did you do last month? Actual versus budget. And how did you do? But again, like kind of what you were saying, you're asking the wrong questions. I don't really care that you went over your budget for office supplies by $250. I only care to the extent that like that's twice as much of the budget. And so do we need to update it? Are there things that are happening in the business that we should be aware of so that we should adjust for those things? But it's like... I want that past information to say, and now what? And so being able to see clients go from, thank you, got financial statements, next, we'll move on to the next thing to, wait, 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 that was last month, you're right, we don't have to do anything with that right now, but like, what does that mean for your next month? What do you have on the agenda? I can see that you made this much last month, is that what you plan on invoicing for these upcoming months or should we have different conversations has really made them shift their mindset to almost a feeling of helplessness, which feels like, I don't know, it already happened and I was over budget. So what am I supposed to do now to, yeah, but you said that you were going to launch something in say September. Should we move that back and you launch it earlier? What can you do in terms of cash flow while you're waiting for that to come up? Like we can, we still have the power to do some different things, but we need to use that information as data for us to determine what we need to do next. Yeah, that's so interesting because we always live in the past when it comes to our finances, at least like me being a person yeah. that doesn't do this for a living. Um, but really, like when you think about your business, you're thinking about the next. So why wouldn't you want to do that with your money? That's a really that's a really powerful reframe. Um, yeah. What do you think about like the whole I guess like movement of people doing like the AI bookkeeping or AI accounting and stuff like that. Do you think that there's hope for that? Like, is that something that you think could be implemented into even your business model? Or do you think it's just like, no, like that's crazy. We need to not be doing all of that. <laughs> I think everything that we automate still needs a person. So I think it will make some things easier, right? Like it should be able to analyze trends and say 86% of the time, 92% of the time you use this category. Is that the same this time to kind of give you a cheat code? Um, but if you don't understand what those things mean, it is directing you in a way that does or does not answer what you mean. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a payroll system, right? You've got a payroll system and you pay a fee. Um, to even actually have the payroll system, you pay wages to people, you pay payroll taxes, and you pay contractors. So you got four lines. It is easy if it says 90% of the time this is wages for AI to say, so code it as wages. When it was actually the fee to do the, um, to use the software to begin with. And so I think that there's a way that we can use AI as a cheat code to kind of give us a leg up so that we're not starting from scratch, but either you or the person that's supporting you needs to understand enough what that number means to know when it goes wrong. Because that's really the thing with bookkeeping. In a lot of ways, it's straightforward. Like I think about things that um, we're financing HR crossover, think about stuff like payroll. When payroll is doing the right thing, it's not that difficult. You hit the button, people get paid, they send off the taxes. Yay, it was perfect. The one time it goes wrong, 
the seven times it goes wrong. If you don't know why it went wrong, you can't fix it. And so now you're in this helpless, like, I thought y'all had this covered. I don't understand why it's broken. It's the same thing with bookkeeping. If you stay on top of it and everything is right, you are great. And then you go to do a reconciliation and it turns out you categorize something wrong and you don't know how to fix it. AI can't help you. All it can tell you is, I thought that it should go here. You can't ask AI why is this off? Can you tell me what this should be instead? And so either you need to know or the person that's helping you needs to know. But I do really embrace AI um, and all of the tools that use it as a way to make us more efficient so that we can use our brains to talk about the analysis, to talk about the human component, to talk about what these numbers mean, as opposed to using our time to say, seven times you went to this place I need to remember seven times that it was actually coded as this. That part can be easy. And then we can look at the end of the month and say, does that make sense when we look at year to date, how this has been categorized and then be able to make those shifts from a personal, I know your business standpoint. It's so interesting that you that you brought up payroll too, because that is definitely where like HR and accounting kind of hold hands, but it also is like its own little beast because we... I've had plenty of clients that are like, can't you just run my payroll for me? And I'm like, well, yeah, but like, it's just easier if you just do it. Like, it's not hard. You can do it yourself. Like, we make sure, you know, you're set up, blah, blah, blah. Or they're like, well, can't like, I would, I don't know. I just don't want to run it. Like, it's too stressful. Like, I hate it, blah, blah, blah. I run payroll for three companies that I work for. And it's not mm -hmm. my favorite thing, but building the process to get there is now so seamless that we can do that for other businesses and make it really seamless for us too. But it's not siloed into any department. And we find that with HR all the time is that there's these little things that people are like, oh, is that HR or is it legal or is it finance? HR, legal, finance, HR, legal, nobody knows. And they're like, where does this fit? What category does it go under? Whatever. And that's why HR kind of is the thread between a lot of these things. And so we become kind of the catch-all. For finance, though, it's really dangerous. So when you're running payroll, mm -hmm. it's where you get the information, the hours, the vacation, the paid time off, the bonuses, the commissions. You know, it's not just about running the payroll, but it's where you get the information. And one thing that I've noticed is that when there's friction between the finance side and the people side is when business owners don't know how to categorize certain things on payroll. So I was hoping that you mm -hmm. could speak to that a little bit, especially when it comes to like bonuses or like extra hours or reimbursements, because those are all compliance things that we have to hit. And I've always just relied on the payroll system to do it, but I, I can't really explain mm -hmm. why. So I think it would be really helpful for you to kind of talk a little bit about all those categories and things that you can use your payroll system for that you may not be using them for. Yeah, so I would say the first thing is payroll taxes, right? So every time you pay somebody, payroll taxes have to be paid to the IRS and the state that your employee lives in. And so first of all, having that compliance, so knowing that you are registered correctly in all of the places that you need to in order to make sure that the taxes go out like they're supposed to, that's number one, because a lot of people end up getting caught up with that where they'll get a letter or it's like, hey, we didn't get your Q2 payment for the state of whatever. K2 
can you submit it? And really being able to lean on the payroll system and say, hey, y'all were supposed to do this for me. Take this and investigate it. Just the brain power that's not required of you to go um, investigate or Google it or try to figure out like, well, what does this mean? But really being able to give it back to them and say, you're responsible for this. Can you tell me what this means and if I need to do anything? I would say the other thing is understanding that for all intents and purposes, most of the ways that your employees work are wages. Like doesn't if it's overtime, if it's um, less time, if it's holiday pay, all of that basically ends up being wages. And from the accounting standpoint, at the end of the year, if you work for somebody, you're going to get a W-2 and all of that is going to potentially or basically explicitly be in the same box. So box one is like, this is all the money that you got paid for working this year. The reason that you're doing those breakdowns is really for internal data purposes. So, so that your one employee knows how much did I get paid on a bonus versus how much I got paid as a salary. So that information is available, but also the ability to say budget, how much should we be paying in bonuses over the course of a year? How much should we be paying in um, benefits? When we're thinking about hiring people, when we're thinking about bringing new people on, what is that person going to cost me? Because it's not just their salary. It's all these other things that we're paying for. In addition to that, whether it's reimbursements, whether it's stipends, all of these things that we're covering that go beyond just the salary. And so remember that you're kind of trying to hit um, two different goals. You want to be in compliance with federal and state uh, tax regulations when it comes to hiring people and paying the appropriate payroll tax. But you also want to be able to see where those numbers um, are represented in your books and within your payroll system so that you can make, again, strategic decisions about how you'll use that money in the future, um, but also how you can plan for new people that you want to hire on the team. Yeah, I, I've had people that have used different systems or tried to process payroll on their own. And I never even ever since I've been doing it's been 13 years now. I've never done that. Like it's I've always used a payroll system. So when people were like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I read that I can just use, you know, I could just do this on my own. I'm like, dude, it's like 60 bucks a month. Like just get the payroll system. <laughs> like it's not it's not bad. They file all of your stuff for you. You get something in the mail, you scan it and send it over like it doesn't. Payroll compliance is something that they can literally handle fully for you. One thing that people yeah. get confused about is that payroll compliance and HR compliance are the same thing. And I'm sure that there's yeah. some crossover on the finance side, too. Like, oh, I'm doing everything right on the finance side. But payroll and they, they hold hands. You know, it's just like this own its own yeah. little fun. And there's some legal mm -hmm. that doesn't even have anything to do. It kind of touches HR and kind of touches finance, but also is not either of our jobs. Mm -hmm. And you still have to do it to make sure that you're in compliance for it. And it's not our wheelhouse. It, payroll is a, a nice little triangle of lots of people's jobs. Yeah, like it's one of the most frustrating things for our clients is when they learn that they have to register in whatever state they have an employee. So we have these like step-by-step -step guides, but I have, I, for about a year, I was like, I'm going to find a CPA or, or somebody that can register these clients because I think it would be really helpful mm -hmm. for them not to have to worry about that. But what ends up happening is there there's not really anyone in the world that just goes around and registers small businesses in every state every year when everything changes and their system changes and their new numbers change. Yep. So it's like you kind of just have to and the advice that I've gotten from 
fellow CPAs or accountants, bookkeeping agencies is the the CEO of the company or the person that's in charge of the business that does whoever would get the insurance, whoever would be in charge of that Mm -hmm. stuff has to own that registration piece because we I'm not taking your EIN and registering you as a business. I'm not going and buying your insurance policies because I'm not taking responsibility for that being done. Yeah. Then when they didn't receive it or when it was missing a signature or a thing, it is on us when actually that should have never been our job. And I think the ways that like finance and HR um, and I know you all do this too. the best ways for I think us to support is to tell you to be on the lookout for it. Hey, these letters are coming out. I'm not doing it, but you should be on the lookout that this is about the time of year where they change your payroll rate. And so they're probably going to be sending you something in the mail. You should be aware of that. You have to actually execute on that, but I can at least let you know or make sure that you're getting reminders that say payroll taxes are coming up. You know, they're going to take that out. In our case, that might be a cash flow forecast to say, okay, Every quarter, this money that you have in here, know that this is when they take out your state taxes to make payment on your behalf. Just be aware of that so that all of this money that you think is in the bank doesn't all belong to you, even if I'm not going to be the one that presses the button to actually send the money off. Yeah, it's wild. There's a lot of it's just this really collaborative and communicative process. And I think that, you know, kind of my last question before we I want to dive into like talking a little bit about building a team and a business and all that juicy good stuff. But there's something really interesting about the way that our industry has evolved. So helping service providers, coaches and consultants, Mm -hmm. the last few years, there was, you know, kind of a big bubble, like let's not over, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. Like there was a big bubble. There was a lot of stuff going on in the online space. Yeah, it popped. Things went downhill. People adjusted, pivoted, tried different things. You know, really talented people had to do new types of businesses, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. In that process, we had a kind of dip in I want everyone to do everything for me to, well, now we're tightening our purse strings. I want to keep my business, but I want to take accountability over it. And for us, that's worked really well because people have been really taking accountability for their finances. They've been really taking accountability for Mm -hmm. their HR. Um, But on the flip side of it, it's been sort of crappy to see people that have a certain way of thinking walking into a business where we were in a big bubble and now having to kind of scale back and to see where priorities are going. So on the back end of a lot of businesses, and I'm not saying like share all of this, but from what you've seen, what have you noticed that people are still investing in, that are still putting themselves out there, that are still seeking out that are looking for that are benefiting from what services what you know things like that are people still prioritizing versus what are some of the things that you've noticed have fallen off as you've looked at people's finances yeah it's actually interesting because there are some ways that i think okay so for example i see a lot of people investing in marketing right that is the big thing we need to get more people and so i'm gonna invest in ads and copywriters and all these pieces. The problem is your back end is not in order. And so they don't have maybe the systems or the operations that are set up to be able to take on that influx of clients. They need to hire new people, but their HR is not in order. And so they haven't really built those foundational pieces. I don't say that to shame people because we do what we know how to do. Like you think that the goal is to get more people into your orbit, but I have seen a drop in things like 
operations support where CEOs are like, oh, if it's just a matter of using this system or doing this thing, I can do that. And I understand it, but I also think that it um, leaves a gap for somebody to be the expert in that area because CEOs have so many jobs that like, I can't be the expert in this system that we just added on. I'm probably just going to add it and be like, this part works fine for me. I don't need to learn the rest. That's mm -hmm. okay. Um, so I've definitely seen some drops there. I've also seen drops in um, like ad hoc services, which has actually been interesting to me. I thought that more people, at least from our services, would lean more into like, I'm trying to save money, so I'm just getting my taxes done. Like, I don't want the whole advisory suite that goes with that. But actually, I've seen the opposite where people are tightening in other areas so that they can invest in like the best kind of accounting support that they can get at whatever level makes the most sense. So they may not need monthly, I need everything, but I have seen more people renew on, I would rather stay and get tax planning and support throughout the year than get a cheaper version where I could just get my tax return done, but nothing else is going to be taken care of for me. So that's been really interesting to me, even through clients services that I've seen where people are interested in getting more and better rather than investing in 13 things that would be cheaper individually, but none of them actually resolves their problem. So they're like, if you will do all of this part for me, I'd rather invest in you and know you're going to take this completely off my plate than pay for the tiny piece of what you're doing. And I think the other side of that is if I'm paying you to do the human stuff, whether that's HR, legal, accounting, whatever that looks like, I can probably save money in using systems to do some of the things like I don't know, recurring invoices or something that I was thought I needed somebody on staff to do. I can probably get that off of my plate easily, but I cannot take care of taxes for myself or hiring new people for myself. So I'm going to invest in whatever version of that gets it truly out of my sphere as opposed to just like kind of teaching me how to do it myself and not do it well. Yeah, so that's actually been surprising because I think I expected more people to just like cut to the lowest version of what they could do. And instead, they're like, instead of paying 16 things, a small amount, I'd rather pay three, all the money and know that those are going to be taken off my plate. And it's the way that we've started working, too. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because it does make sense. I mean, there's like talk of recession or whatever, but I think that we just have been through a really crazy, unprecedented time, not to just like, you know, constantly say all that stuff. But um, and as a result, there's been a couple of times where people are trying to predict the way that things are going to go. And they're saying, oh, this is how it's going to look in six months or whatever. But it's not really shaking out the way that anyone is anticipating because we are coming off of something that can't be predicted. And yeah. it's really interesting because one of the things that we share that we have in common, and it kind of lends itself to the answer that you just gave, was is that we believe that you can make a huge impact with a small and lean team. So I'm not out here saying, go out there, hire 50 people in order to do right. as much work as possible. The more team you, I always yell at people, I'm like, a team number of team members is a vanity metric. I'm more impressed at your margins and how few people you have on your team. Because that shows that you are a good manager, that you're direct, you're clear, your services are in order, you can do a lot with a little. And the way that we often advise in building teams is that those high-level experts like you and me and your lawyer, you're probably not going to have 
have one of those high level people on your team. You're not going to pay us $150,000, $200,000 to work for you full time. And we're not looking for a mm-hmm. part time job. <laughs> That's how we got here. So at the end of the day, outsourcing those high level things and insourcing and bringing the operations internally, bringing the marketing internally, spending time enriching people's experiences has been the way that we generally will help people understand their business and Mm -hmm. help them understand how their finances lead into the people. So switching gears a little bit, I wanted to touch on a couple things because we're lucky enough to be working with you and your team right now. And I think throughout the last few weeks, as we've been talking all about benefits, so many questions have come up or even there's been like almost a our normal listeners might not be super interested in the in what we've been talking about because it feels so out of reach for a small business to talk about retirement or health insurance or perks or you know things like that. So you have a small team and small and powerful and great. Your team is like the best. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about. Can you tell us that thought process of as we were building all of these things out? What? How did you decide what benefits you wanted to offer and what was that? realization for you that like, oh, I'm going to be creating a benefits package. That's crazy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that from the business owner perspective? Yeah, I think the first thing, the first mindset shift that you have to make is that your employees are team members and not helpers. I think when you first start a business, and you're doing all the jobs, you're hiring people to take things off your plate. So you're like, if you could do this for me, that would be great. If you could do this for me, that would be great. But it's not really empowering them to want the business to be better. They are working a job. They are taking things off of your plate. They are grateful to get paid. You are grateful that they are helping you. It's a win-win. And so when I made the shift from that to actually as a team member, you're an ambassador for this company. You are a key way in how we get clients, how we retain clients. Like you live here in this business house. You're not just like stopping by as a guest. It it meant that it was important to me that they felt like it was a quote, real job. And so I knew that we weren't in a position from when I worked in corporate or even government where I could just give them all of the benefits. But at least my first start was, what did you need when you were working? We needed health insurance. I didn't know then that I was lucky to always have worked for a company or an organization that had retirement or a 401k, but I knew that that was important. And then I started thinking about things like time off. And if we recognize that as small businesses, I cannot give you the same things at the same rate that say a Fortune 500 company could, but I could do some stuff to account for the fact that like you're not going to work the same number of hours here. You're not going to be stressed the same ways. How can I make sure that we create a holistic uh, employee package that feels good? And that was, I think that that's something that's really unique about having worked with Little Fish is that you have these really strong relationships with the people on your team. So you're really dialed into what matters to them and what they mm-hmm. want. And on that note, is there before we worked together and started doing all of this when you thought about like oh, benefit? Like what were some of the things that you cuz I I have a hard time getting into the mindset of somebody that hasn't been doing this for 15 years. So, mm-hmm. like maybe like if you could get on the level of like our listeners that are like benefits, I'm not listening to this. Like that's not possible. Yeah. But I want to change their mind. So, can you talk a little bit about that? It is so much <laughs> 
there are so many tools and resources available to us now that I think weren't in the past. So for example, I never thought we'd be able to afford a 401k because all of the language that I heard around it was like, stick with like a Roth or an IRA that they invest in for themselves because a 401k is just going to be too much for you or don't offer benefits, um, health benefits, because for a team your size, it's just going to be way too expensive for you to be able to get a plan that would, could support them. And so getting access to resources like a Qsera, like 401k plans that are built for small businesses that cost like a software fee per month was an eye-opening experience because I was like, oh, I can be competitive in some ways to say, we will make sure that you have health coverage. No, I can't do a major healthcare package, but I can reimburse you for cost at a good um, clip. I can make sure that we're offering a 401k that both matches some of the stuff that you're putting in, but also is not an administrative burden on our side to figure out how you keep up with that. So just knowing that it's more accessible to small businesses than I realized. And I think probably in relatively recent history that we have access to this kind of software. And the software also wants to make sure that you've got a person on their team that will talk to you about things as opposed to when you're going outside and they're like, I don't want to give you tax advice. And I'm like, I don't need tax advice. I just literally need you to tell me if I am allowed to or able to do this. A lot of that in conjunction with working with you all has been helpful to say, oh, what else is available to us that I just would have assumed was out of reach? And I, it's it's really hard to think like back, especially because it's been a really long time since I was an employee negotiating for myself, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a position where something that you think is like, not a big deal is such a big deal. Like I remember when my boss was like, okay, so you get a, in here in California, having, we have these little fast track boxes. And I think it probably costs him like 19 bucks a month. And mm-hmm. when, and I can skip traffic. So I get to go into the lane where ah, only the carpool vehicles yep. go. And it's like, probably saved me hours and hours and hours of time, maybe cost him eight bucks every time I used it. And I was like, I am so luxurious. Like I have this awesome, magical box that like takes me to any location I need to go to. And I don't have to worry about paying the bill. I don't have to worry about thinking about, I mean, there are probably months where it cost him $5 and I was like mm-hmm. driving around. Like I had like the greatest benefits of all time. And then there was other, there's other things like I like getting your gas paid for, like if you're a physical business, like mm-hmm. you don't it, you're, to our company, it's like, well, you can't have a hundred dollar gas reimbursement a month. Like that's an expense that really cuts in to how we get to spend our discretionary funds. Mm-hmm. So being able to like justify and, you know, give these types of benefits that maybe you wouldn't realize uh, for remote work, like co-working spaces, that's a killer yeah. one because how fun is it to be able to say, Oh, I have my own desk at this co-working space, but like, they're not going to be required to use it. Like it's there when they need it. They need the fast internet. You know, they want the resources they can network for you in this community. Mm-hmm. Like it's really beneficial. And that's only a hundred or $200 a month, like right. little things like that, especially if you're getting to know your team. So let's like, as we're kind of finishing off the episode, I wanted to kind of throw some uh, selfish money questions your way um, okay. because I'm the type of person that's like, I want to get like, we always want to make HR and people ops and management as creative as as possible. But 
I have gotten a couple slaps on the wrist from my CPA yes. at times. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you a couple scenarios and I think it'd be really fun to tell us, can your company actually pay for this? Is this going to get us in trouble? Can we write this off? Um, okay. Or don't you dare do that kind of a thing. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. So more recent example, we have an employee coming into town and we decided to get tickets to a Beyonce concert. Can I write those off? Can the company pay for those? Generally, no. Entertainment is not a deductible expense. Um, where you potentially could, I'm not going to use Beyonce as an example, even though I totally do that, is <laughs> if the whole team went and it was like a team building event, um, I could see where you might be able to get into some gray that would work to your benefit for that. But simply just taking one person or even taking a client to an entertainment venue is generally not a deductible expense. Can you pay for it through the business? It just wouldn't be deductible? Yes, but you want to be careful with that because if it's a non-deductible expense, depending on how your business is set up, it could be considered a distribution and then it does all kinds of stuff to you as the owner. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then let's say you have a, you're getting together for a team retreat once a year. You want to get an Airbnb, get an Instacart bunch of groceries delivered. Mm -hmm. You have somebody coming to teach a yoga class. You have somebody coming to do massages. Um, almost all the team members are there. Um, would that, how much of that can we write off? How much of that is a business expense? Yeah, pretty much all of it would be a business expense. As long as the expectation is that this is like team building, even if all of the team doesn't show up, they had the opportunity to come. Um, and you are doing business, but also things that like bring the team closer together, fine. I would try to make sure that there is some business aspect that we have like a day of an agenda and then maybe a day off and then a day on or something like that. Um, you can take a whole retreat where there is no business, but it gets a little bit harder to try to fight for. So I try to mix business and pleasure when we do that. Is there any reason that some food or drinks, maybe alcohol would not be something that we could consider or are there limits no. to the alcohol? <laughs> so it's funny because I think that that comes from reimbursable expenses when you work for a corporation or government that people expect that it's a tax thing when actually it's just um, usually organization liability that they don't want to incur the cost of alcohol. So if something happened, they kind of condoned it. But in terms of taxability, nope, alcohol is fine. Um, you could potentially drink as much as you wanted to, as long as it wasn't, quote, excessive. And what I mean by excessive is when you deduct an expense, the rule is that it has to be ordinary and necessary. So ordinary means that peers, um, people who do the same thing as you would incur the same types of costs. Necessary doesn't mean that like your business would fail without it, but it does mean that it's helpful to what you're doing. And the reason I bring that up is because while there's no true limit on something like alcohol or anything, they would also want to make sure that this is not like, oh yeah, I offered up an opportunity for my team to go to Bali and only two people came. And then we didn't really have an agenda. The IRS is probably going to be like, this sure does sound like a vacation um, and not a business thing. So be careful with that. If your alcohol took up more than half of what this whole retreat was, the IRS might start asking questions. But in and of itself, there's not like a line, a dollar line that you'd have to keep within. Just be like, whatever reasonable means to you. 
Isn't it funny how corporate, like corporate has like ruined our minds where they're like, you're only allowed to drink one drink if you're doing something Correct. for work. It's like, oh, that's made you're up. Like, you can drink as much as you IRS want. the IRS is coming for me. And they're yeah. like, that's not the IRS. That's just your job. That doesn't want to pay for these. Yeah. Because it's also expensive for them. Like in addition to liability, they're like, well, every time you drink, I'm paying for more than half your meal just in glasses. So we're not going to pay for that. And it is not like, because the IRS won't let us. Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, not that I would be like, everybody get together so we can just get yeah, really yeah. hammered. But it is interesting to think about because like when you get the team together, and I'm sure so many people can agree with this, like I try to constantly bring everybody in person. Like even I know it's like difficult for people and stuff, but I just think that in-person connection is so fun and important. Like the first thing you want to do is like get a bottle of wine or, you know, like enjoy like just that ha- not have them worry about counting pennies and dollars when they're here and like feel really appreciated. And like, so it's funny that alcohol comes up in that way, but not in a sense of like, we're all go getting, going out and getting drunk, yeah, but just yeah. like in a special occasion type of vibes. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's easier to do too, when you're doing it on, you know, it's a team retreat or we have a team outing and not just like, every day, this is how we move, unless you're in a specific kind of industry for which that is expected. Yeah. Um, So uh, two more of these. So one is, let's say I had a, recently I had a lunch with a potential client and Mm -hmm. obviously wanted to pick up the bill before sending out the proposal. How much of that is tax deductible if they're not a client yet? And, you know, this lunch that we go to. Yeah, for usually meals are 50% deductible. So they need to be either one, if you're by yourself, they should be on travel. And if you're not by yourself, it has to be somebody related to what you do. So a potential client, a business partner, a um, vendor that you're making moves with, a um, mentor or coach or something like that. It needs to be somebody that's related to your business. And more often than not, it's going to be 50% deductible, which is the expectation that some of this was food because y'all just needed to eat and some of it was business related. Yeah. Cool. And what about if we have, um, oh, so if I have a employee that may be representing me out to lunch with a client, cause they, maybe they live in the same city. So mm-hmm. I'm not there, but the employee's taking them out or doing a interview or a case study or something like that. Um, and they're all we're I'm taking them both out to lunch to, you know, thank them for their time and for them to ha- actually have the conversation. What if, what about something like that? Yeah, that would follow the same rules as if you were there. So remember, you're not the business. So it's does the business get to deduct it, which is to say that anybody that is acting as a representative on your behalf would be entitled to that same limit. Okay, cool. Um, what are on the lot for this very last question? What are some of the like most fun, craziest things that you've seen people be able to pull off in this area? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, I think some of them are less crazy and just more like not really realize that you could do it. So I have seen people, uh, rent a beautiful peer space because they are recording for their podcast or they're recording videos for the, um, for the business. And I think people assume that like, oh, well, I could have recorded this at my house. So it's not necessarily deductible that I chose to go somewhere else, but you absolutely can. Um, like we've talked about with team retreats, I've seen people get really creative about where they go. And as long as they've got that business, um, impact and the, agenda they've been able to take like really uh gorgeous vacations that also have a business um aspect to them and then i think finally 
the types of things that make you a better business owner or um, that are not all directly business related. So I've seen people go to retreats about regulating their feelings or, you know, um, incorporating meditation into their day where because of what they did and maybe the stress level of their um, business, they were able to take as a business expense because you could see how it had a direct business impact, which has been pretty cool. So all things are not equal. I have definitely seen people who are like, I would like to take this as a deduction. I'm like, that's personal. They're not going to let you do that. But if it's available to you based on what you do, how you work, how your team moves, it's really cool opportunities for you to make yourselves better as people that make you better as workers. I love that. And I feel like all of that, like embracing that, even in the remote workspace, like buying your team a DoorDash gift card for dinner if you have to work late, especially like during tax season for you all, Mm -hmm. like things like that. Like it's a way for you to don't think, I guess my thing is like, don't think so much about like how much this is going to be deductible, but be aware of it. And in a sense of like how much of this is going to impact your team member, because it could make a huge difference to them to not have to worry about making themselves dinner one night or to have something Mm -hmm. like that that's fun to look forward to or you know, things like that. Like if you're going to make everybody sit on Zoom for a happy hour, at least let them, you know, do like a drizzly order, you know? Like right, like right. And making sure that like that is incorporated as part of your process. I think it gets a lot harder to think about when you're like, crap, we're having a happy hour next week. What can I do? But instead mm-hmm. just having it as a plan. Every time we have a happy hour, this is what we do for the team. Every time tax season is coming in advance, we already know the kind of thank you package that they're going to get um, Um, I think it's easy to miss when you're in the moment of it. And then suddenly you're like, oh crap, I should do something, but what do I do? And then you're paralyzed by the analysis of figuring it out. The more that you can just make that part of the team culture of how it works and leave that task with somebody on the team who can kind of execute that every time, the more consistent you can be with making sure that your team always have access to those kinds of benefits. Oh, couldn't have said it better myself. You're definitely hired. So um, (laughs) before we log off, tell everybody how and why they would reach out to you, how they can find you and how they can pay you money. Yes, absolutely. So if you are a small business and with small business with us, it means one owner and a tiny team, usually of less than 15, um, and you provide professional services. So coaches, consultants, trainers, firm and agency owners, you use your brain to make money. Little Fish provides accounting and tax services for that specific group. And we love doing it. We know that it takes a little bit of extra handholding because you're one person and you've got a lot of stuff to do. Um, so if you're interested in that, we have year-round partnerships that you can see all about on our website, littlefishaccounting.com. Um, we are active on Instagram, so you can find us at littlefishaccounting on Instagram. Um, and we're doing pretty good on LinkedIn too, so you can search us out there. Yes. Okay. And don't don't be afraid to reach out. Like Keela's been such a blessing to just chat with and laugh with and her stories and her relatability is super fun. And I hope that you all got something great out of this episode from the business owner perspective, had a little bit of education and laughed a little bit because we definitely had fun recording it. So (laughs) thanks for listening. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up. Up.